Today on the Matt Wall Show, if you were expecting the media to back away from race hoaxes and shame after the Jesse Smollett verdict, think again. Yesterday, ESPN tried to resurrect the Bubba Wallace noose fable. Also, is Amazon to blame for the workers who died when a tornado hit their factory on Saturday? And uh, you've heard about the male swimmer crushing the female competition at the college level. Today, we'll actually watch one of those races to see for ourselves what a farce it all is. Plus, the, the head of the NIH breaks into song during a press conference and in the daily cancellation will deal with the controversy surrounding comments that Ben Shapiro's sister made about Madonna. Am I going to cancel a member of the Shapiro family today? We'll talk about that and much more on Matt Walsh Show. As an increasing number of companies fall all over themselves trying to appeal to the radical left, wouldn't it be nice to find one that supports you and your values? Well, Charity Mobile is that company. Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. And they've sent millions of dollars to charities so far. Um, and there are a lot of other perks that you get with this uh, with this service as well. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping when you mention offer code Walsh. And they also make it really easy to switch. You can keep your existing phone. You may even be able to keep, uh, rather keep your, your existing phone number and you may be able to keep your existing phone. And uh, unless you want a new phone, there's no problem there either. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from basic flip phones and low-cost smartphones to the latest 5G phones. And I also love that they have um, special flip phones and other kinds of phones with parental controls built in so that uh, if you do uh, want to get your kid a phone so they can you know, get in contact with you, then you don't have to also give them access to the internet. So I would very much recommend that. There are no contract contracts, no termination fees, and no risk with a 30-day guarantee. Switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. So people often ask me, you know, why I am so stubborn and hard-headed and closed-minded, refusing to admit when I'm wrong, refusing to apologize, doubling down when people are upset at me, and then tripling down when they're mad that I doubled down. The answer is that I'm just kind of a jerk, frankly. I mean, that's the answer. But also because, although maybe not everyone can or should operate this way, we all have different personalities, some of us need to because this is the kind of thing we're up against. We cannot all be equivocators and compromisers while we face an ideological opponent who stands firm in his position no matter what, regardless of the facts, regardless of anything. Some of us have to be a bit obstinate, headstrong, or else we'll all be blown around by the breeze like little leaves and twigs. A perfect example of the left's stubbornness, which uh, calls for, for a propo proportional response, I think, is this. It's been less than a week since the Justice Millett verdict when the left and the media were all, you would think, humiliated after the hoax they promoted was revealed as a hoax. You might assume that they would want to crawl into a hole for a while, lick their wounds, hide their faces, and certainly steer plenty clear of anything else that looks like it might be a race hoax. But that's just not how they roll. And so yesterday, ESPN, with timing that is not a coincidence, decided to air a special on the Bubba Wallace story. Now, you remember that Bubba Wallace was the black NASCAR driver who claimed that somebody hung a noose in his garage last year. NASCAR rallied around him. The media ate the story up. And it all culminated in the dramatic display of all of the drivers at Talladega marching around the track with Bubba Wallace in a, in a show of solidarity. And they all gave him hugs and they were all crying. Of course, there's one really important detail about that noose, quote unquote, which is that it was not a noose. It was a rope that you used to close the garage door, a garage door pull, as you know we call it. Anyone who's ever been in a garage might be familiar with these contraptions. They're just like, Ropes, that's why they're hanging, that's why it's, interestingly enough, hanging from the garage door. You might wonder, oh, why is that rope on the garage door? Oh, well, because when you pull it, the, the, the door goes down. Wow. NASCAR drivers who spend many hours in garages are certainly familiar with, with these things. They see them all the time. But even if Bubba Wallace and everybody else at the Speedway that day had suffered amnesia and forgotten about the existence of garage door pulls, they still could have easily figured out whether the rope was meant to be some kind of racist message to Bubba Wallace. There, there are security cameras all over the place. As some of us pointed out when this story was first reported, well, there are security cameras, so couldn't you just quite easy to find out what, what's going on? Simply go back and check the footage and see how long the rope has been there. If it's been there for longer than a day or two, that means that it could not have been targeted at, at, Bubba, at Bubba Smollett. 
Bubba Wallace, sorry, because nobody would have known prior to that point that Wallace would be assigned to that garage. So that's all you got to do. Security cameras, just look at them. Look at the footage. It would take like 10 minutes. Now, as it happens, the FBI showed up with 15 agents to investigate the rope, and they did exactly that. They checked the tape. And when they did, they discovered that it had been there since the previous year. For months, it had been hanging there, and nobody thought anything of it. Did we need 15 FBI agents to look at the footage and discover this? Is there a reason why NASCAR couldn't have done this themselves immediately before running out to the public and telling everyone that there's a suspected potential noose-like structure in Bubba's garage? The answer to both is no. Well, the real answer is no, they didn't need the FBI agents. They could have checked themselves. But they preferred the narrative of the racist noose, and so they ran with it until they could run no longer. Or you thought they could run no longer. But here they were last night on ESPN, trotting this thing out again a year later. Let's watch uh, some of this clip here. I just wanted to stand with him during the national anthem to show my support for him and was appalled by uh, what I had learned. And then as drivers got involved, I think crew members, team managers, team owners, it really started to snowball within a very short period of time. incredible, non-competitive moment in sports I'd ever seen. That moment, I could feel the weight of that moment, and, and I think we all did as we were walking. Yes, it may have been one of the most incredible moments in sports, never in history, never in the history of sports has there been such pageantry and emotion surrounding a garage door. This was quite easily, I think we could say this, right? Quite easily, the most dramatic garage door-related sports moment in world history. But I'm not sure if that's anything to brag about, necessarily. And just because I'm a glutton for punishment, let's keep watching a little bit of this uh, clip here. I get out of the car. I look back. And I was like, holy shit, it's a whole garage. The whole garage. And that's when I lost it midst of all the turmoil. That was going on in the world with the black and white, the hatred and everything that was going on. The entire NASCAR family rallied behind my son. Uh, very inspiring. Um, now, just to remind you, uh, you know, again, it was not a noose. So it was 100% not any kind of racist attack at all. It was just a rope with a loop on it so you could grab hold of it to pull the door closed. Um, and, and by the way, that's also how we know it's not a noose. Because a noose, and I know like this, people on the left, uh, they don't spend a lot of time outdoors. They probably don't do a lot of fish, fishing or you know that kind of thing. So um, they're not familiar with tying knots. But I can tell you that not every knot is a noose. In fact, most of them aren't. Only one knot is a noose, and it's a noose. And all the others are different kinds of knots. And, and But they might look kind of similar. Because I, I know, again, if you don't spend a lot of time outside, you and you maybe, maybe and you, all you do is watch corporate media, you see a rope, and, and maybe you just start breaking down in tears. Because you think, well, why else would that rope be there except to, to hang somebody? Uh, but a noose is a, has a, a particular application. And so one, one of the, like, by definition, a noose, when you pull on the loop, it constricts. Because that's, that's, why, that's what it's made to do. That's what makes it a noose. So if you pull on the loop and it does not constrict, then it's not a noose. And so since this thing was hanging there as a garage door for, since, since the previous October, we could probably assume that it was not constricting when you pulled on it. Because that means it would like, every time you try to shut the garage door, it would break your hand. And so I'm going to assume that that had not been there for months where every time you, uh, you shut the garage door, just everyone's getting their hand broken and no one thinks to change the knot. So I'm assuming that's not the case, which means that it was just a, it was a knot that did not constrict. It's not a noose. 
So this, in other words, this was not a makeshift gallows that had been set up to perform executions before, uh, you know, before the race. We know all of this now. I mean, any intelligent person knew it the moment they heard about the story, even before the FBI brain trust confirmed it. But now even the dumbest among us knows it. And still, ESPN aired the special. They, report, they reported themselves last year that the FBI confirmed it was not a hate crime. And yet here they are. You thought the media would be embarrassed by Jesse Smollett. Instead, they're saying, oh, yeah, you think we're embarrassed by that? Well, take this. Here's an emotional documentary about a black guy who was afraid of his garage door. So this is the, uh, this is the double down. It's also, as I've been explaining for the last few weeks, the reality cur- curation. They are shaping the way people view reality. The actual details don't matter. In fact, in fact, the whole idea that nooses are racist symbols is itself a, a part of that reality curation. Nooses, actual nooses, like real nooses, have been used for thousands of years for different applications, but yes, often to perform executions. Many thousands of people or millions of all different races have died that way through the course of human history. Many of them have been convicted criminals. In some cases, they are unjustly lynched by violent mobs. But whoever decided that the noose, this this like universal object, is a symbol of special significance to black people? When, when did that start? Well, the media decided that. They decided it some time ago, and, and they've now turned it into a reality through one hoax after another. They've been so successful in constructing this reality that even people on the right who are skeptical of the individual noose hoaxes still don't stop to question why we're pretending that the noose is a racist symbol in the first place. That's the power of the false reality that the left has constructed and which permeates and intrudes into the lives of people who would otherwise know better. So it's a very unique situation in modern times. There have always been liars and propagandists in the world but never with such immediate and all-encompassing access to so many people. And so with this ability to fundamentally reshape how we look at the world, which is all the more reason to remain vigilant and skeptical, and if we stand in the truth, to stand there stubbornly, at least as stubborn as the liars are with their lies. Now let's get to our five headlines. So you got guests coming over for Christmas. Um, you know, one one of the great sins I think as a host is to not have anywhere comfortable for your guests to sleep. You want to make sure they have a, they have a comfortable spot to sleep, and uh, nothing wrong with putting guests on a on a couch. I, I never mind sleeping on the couch, taking the couch if I'm staying at someone's house, but make sure it's a comfortable couch, and uh, it will be if you get an all form couch. Uh, what makes an all-form sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, uh, the sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, everything is customized. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everybody. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want. Um, and so your all-form sofa can grow and change if you wanted to. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your door. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you would need to hire somebody to come and assemble it in your home or break your back trying to put it together yourself. All-form has simple, quick assembly. No tools are needed at all. And if getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds a little risky, you don't need to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty literally forever on this warranty. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Walsh. To find the perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Walsh. Uh, a, a couple quick notes here about uh, my best-selling children's book, Johnny the Walrus. Really important. First of all, and I, and I, think, this is, I think this is brilliant, I think this is great, but I've had uh, some, some people reach out to me saying that they want to donate the books to uh, their local schools especially their local elementary schools. I had once uh, started with one parent group in Southern California. And uh, what they want to do is get a bunch of the books and then uh, buy a bunch of boxes and donate them to <laughs> very generously. And I, and I think that those elementary schools down there in Southern California will be very, very grateful uh, for these books. And if you, I think it's a great idea. I plan on doing that myself. I'm going to make some, um, this is good news for the schools around here in Nashville, but I plan on making some very generous donations myself of this book um, to the schools around here. 
So if you want to do that, if you want to buy the books in bulk, you can go to bulkbooks.com and then search for Johnny the Walrus, and then you get the uh, discount buying in bulk. But I'll tell you one place that you cannot go to get Johnny the Walrus, unfortunately. I mean, you can go to Amazon, and you can still find it there. You won't find it listed as an LGBT book because of uh, homophobia and gay erasure, and it was, it was taken off, but it's still there. You can go to johnnythewalrus.com, but you cannot go to Target because the book has been taken off of Target. Uh, and they took it off at some point last week, like late last week. They got rid of Johnny the Walrus. And we've been asking, I think it's a fair question. Yeah, I mean, it's they can decide what books they're going to sell, but I, I think we have a right to know why they took the book down. It was, this was a decision made by someone. What was your reason? And so we have been contacting Target, reaching out to them, just saying, why would you take down this book written by a best-selling LGBT author, this delightful book about a young boy pretending to be a walrus? It's... Are, are we are are you saying that this is prohibited now? That you're not going to sell books about children uh, pretending to be different things? Books of fantasy and imagination? That's that's no longer allowed at Target. Is that what you're saying? Really fair question. We've been asking them, can't get an answer. Uh, if you want to ask Target, then I would very much encourage you to do that. You can. Um, one thing you can do is contact them on um, on Twitter. It's at Ask Target. And that seems to be their account that usually will respond to consumer questions and complaints. And, uh, but they haven't responded to me yet. So I don't know if it's from Target. This, this could once again be homophobia rearing its ugly head where they're saying, oh, I don't want to talk to the, to the number one best-selling, most revered LGBT author in the country. So this might be something targeted at me. You might have more luck. Um, I don't know. But if you want to do me a favor, do us all a favor, really and find out why Target took Johnny the Walrus down. Um, hashtag free Johnny. Hashtag end walrus phobia. All right. So let's start here. Jen Psaki was uh, asked about the sky-high inflation. She's another one who's not very, uh, not very forthcoming with answers. She doesn't like answering a lot of questions, just like Target apparently doesn't. But uh, she did have an answer finally on this. Like, who's, who is to blame for the fact that it costs so much money when you go to the grocery store? Uh, if you want to buy you know, some ground beef or something, it costs a lot of money. And she says, well, it's not our fault. This is, this is all the fault of big meat. Big meat is to blame. Let's listen. There are several progressive groups and lawmakers who are um, increasingly vocalizing the idea that inflation, high inflation, is being driven by corporate greed, uh, including uh, companies with high profits, some of whom have met at the White House with the president uh, in recent months. Um, does the president endorse that idea? Does he think that corporate greed is the big driver of inflation right now? Well, I think that the president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. That is, in his view, uh, and the view of our Secretary of Agriculture, because of, you could call it corporate greed, sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, it, during a pandemic. Uh, there are other areas where we've seen increases uh, as, because of supply chain issues, and we're seeing those increases around the world as it relates to gas prices, uh, oil supply, and things along those lines. So I would say there's some areas uh, where we have seen uh, corporations uh, benefit, profit from the pandemic, uh, and uh, and certainly the president would agree with that component. I, I don't know the full context of all of their remarks. Uh, it's uh, uh, no, it's various things. It's uh, the greed of meat conglomerates. It's supply chain issues. It's uh, it's the inflation fairy, and she's invisible, and she goes to the grocery store, and she sprinkles inflation dust over all the the food. That happens too. The point is, it's it's everybody's fault but ours. If this is the greed of uh, big meat, of the, the, the giant shadowy meat conglomerates, then why did they just start getting greedy once President Biden took office? What, what's up with that? Especially when President Biden, Democrat Party, they're supposed to be the, uh, the corporate slayers, right? They're going after and they're taking down the big corporations. So I mean, that, that's kind of odd. That in tandem with Biden taking office, that's when coincidentally, all of a sudden, 
the, uh, the, the big meat conglomerates, they've decided to get greedy. So what, what has happened in the last year to make uh, big meat so greedy? Big meat was, was, was not as greedy before, and now they are. Biden took, takes office, and they get greedy. Why is that? Of course, the excuse doesn't make any sense at all, because that's exactly what it is. It's an excuse. Here's another thing that, that, that doesn't make any sense, but I have to show you this. Um, oh, I don't have to, but I'm going to. And we're going to try to get through this together as much as we can. The director of the NIH, Francis Collins, is uh, stepping down. And he gave his last address, I guess, to the public. This is supposed to be sort of a uh, press conference, an address to the public, talking about the pandemic, talking about COVID. And his last act was this. Listen. Somewhere past the pandemic, when we're free, there's a life I remember full of activity. Somewhere past the pandemic, masks will come off. No more need for a nose swab every time we cough. Okay. We pause it. Just don't pause it because we might go back to it. If, if you feel like, if you guys feel like you need to hear more of that, I don't know. I was kind of getting into it. Let's just play a little bit more. I want to hear a little bit more of this song. Play, just play a little bit more. As we are gathered here today, COVID's toll has hit and sent us reeling. But partners like the ones right here will help to make the pathway clear to find okay. a true. Okay, now we're going to rewind it and watch the whole thing again. But this time I want you to focus on the uh, sign language interpreter because that's a whole other. No, I'm kidding. We're not actually going to play it. But that's a whole different experience when you're watching the sign language interpreter. Who, who you can tell is painfully embarrassed, but she, she has to just roll with it. That's, that's not, uh, I, I swear to you, when I first saw this. On online, I thought, is this like a deep fake thing? This has got to be a joke. This cannot be real. I know we've seen this all over TikTok. People love singing about COVID for some reason, but there's no way that Francis Collins, the director of the NHS, but no, this is real. He actually did that. That that is a thing that happened. And this 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 shows you. It shows you a lot of things. One is, um, it, it, even before he broke out into song, this was the case that we see how when people get into a bureaucracy, they become bureaucrats. It has this effect of, of lessening them, you know? And that's really a shame with Francis Collins because he, he in fact, is a brilliant scientist. He's one of the guys who sequenced the human genome. I mean, he's one of the, he's a, he's a great, brilliant scientist. But now this is what he has become as a bureaucrat. My God. And we can, we can laugh in a cringy, awkward way at that, because what else are you going to do? But there is also something kind of sinister about it. Because what's, it's, it, it's this, this fanciful song about somewhere past the pandemic, everything will be good again. You could take the masks off. But just like we talk about somewhere over the rainbow, even in Wizard of Oz, the, the place over the rainbow doesn't really exist. It's all a dream in the end. It's a bait and switch, which always bothered me. Even when I was a kid, I first saw that movie. Um, so it's, it's not real, is the point. The place over the rainbow is, ah, everything is great, it's, but it's, it's, your, it's in your imagination. It's in your dreams. It's not a real place. And that's basically what we're being told there. And this thing goes from awkward to creepy when you think of it that way. That what we're being told by the NIH is that the place past the pandemic, it's like the place over the rainbow and that it doesn't exist. Because we're never going to be past this. This is how it's going to be forever. You're never taking the mask off. If you live in a place where you still have to wear it, you're never taking it off. If you're in California, where I just was for a few days suffering through, uh, you're never taking the mask off. So that's the real message. Past the pandemic is a, is a fantasy. But, but, but keep dreaming about it. Keep thinking about it. And keep cooperating and obeying. And maybe one day, 
This, this far-off fantasy will come to fruition. That's the real message of the song. All right, let's, um, let's go here. Amazon, I, w- I, just, I, I wanted to talk about this briefly. Amazon is coming under fire uh, after a number of employees were killed during the deadly tornadoes on Saturday. And this was at a warehouse in Illinois. I think, that, I think it was uh, six people were killed, I believe. And, um, and then there was a different, not an Amazon factory, but a different factory in Kentucky where dozens and dozens of people were killed. And especially Amazon is getting criticism. For whatever reason, I, I haven't heard as much uh, criticism directed at whatever company runs the factory where those people are killed. But a lot of the criticism seems to, seems to center around the fact that Amazon wouldn't let employees leave during the storm. You've probably seen that headline um, all over the place. Uh, they weren't allowed to leave. They had to stay. Also, I've seen people going after Amazon for forcing employees to come to work, even though there were tornadoes in the forecast, as I saw somebody phrase it on Twitter. So I want to touch on these two things quickly. I'm not one to defend Amazon, um, and I don't, I don't really care if, if people are attacking Amazon. It doesn't, doesn't personally offend me in any way. But I also I hate nonsense, and there's a whole lot of nonsense related to this situation. And I, so I want to explain that. First of all, was, was Amazon right in not allowing their employees to leave uh, once the tornado hit, once there was a tornado warning? Was that the right thing to do, to force employees to stay there? Yes, absolutely. And it's obviously a great tragedy that people ended up dying, but it was the right thing to do to make them stay. Because that is, st- anyone who's lived in the Midwest, anyone who's lived in a, in a tornado-prone area knows this. This is standard procedure. When you get a tornado warning, and in fact, now you, you, you get them on your phone, you get the alert, and what does the phone tell you? What does the weather report tell you? Everyone tells you, stay where you are. If you're in a building, find the safest place in that building. But what you don't do is leave. Of course, Amazon wasn't going to send people to their cars out on the road when there's a tornado out there. A car is the worst place you could be. And if you didn't know this, then this is, this, is, uh, this is a useful segment right now on this show. Maybe it'll save your life one day. The last thing you want to do, this is not like an action movie where you get into your car, you try to outrun the tornado. The worst place you could be is a car. Because there's falling limbs, there's debris, everything. You're very much exposed. If the tornado goes anywhere near you, I mean, you're, you're in a, as far as the tornado is concerned, uh, you're in a very light, uh, you know, you might as well be a rag doll that's going to get tossed around by the storm. So you don't go in your car, you find a solid structure, the most solid you can find. If you're in a building, you find the safest place in that building. Last year, my wife was out grocery shopping and there was suddenly a tornado warning and they told everyone, don't leave, stay in the grocery store. Now, if my wife had made a run for it, I don't think they would have shot her to make her stay, but uh, they they said, don't leave, stay here because we're not going to send you all out to the parking lot into your cars to make a run for it. If Amazon had said to their employees, there's a tornado warning, everyone run to your cars and get out. And then six people had died or more, and there could have been a lot more. Now they're really liable because they went against standard safety protocols when it comes to tornadoes, which again, the standard safety protocol is stay where you are, hunker down. Unless you're in a car. That's the only time you're supposed to leave. If you're in a car, try to park somewhere and get to a a, a structure if you can. Um. And then the second thing about, well, there were tornadoes in the forecast and they uh, had their employees come to work anyway. Again, if you live in a tornado-prone area, you already know this. There are tornadoes potentially in the forecast like 200 days of the year. A tornado watch just means that the, that the, that the atmospheric conditions are such that there could be tornadoes. But you can't shut down work every time there's, there could potentially be a tornado. Then if you live in, in some of these, uh, if you live in Kansas or something, you'll never go to work because it, it's almost every day there's a potential, especially in the summer. So that, that's all that it means is, is there's tornadoes in the forecast. It just means that like there could be somewhere a tornado or maybe not because that those, th- those are the weather conditions. But you still basically go about your day under a tornado watch. Tornado warning means, okay, now we've seen a funnel cloud. It's out there, but it's too late to you know, evacuate the town or something, uh, you got to hunker down. There's a reason why you, you don't hear about towns evacuating in the lead up to a tornado like they do with hurricanes because tornadoes are different than hurricanes. Hurricanes are these big lumbering things that start out there 
uh, over, over the ocean, and you can see them literally from a thousand miles away. And the only speculation is what course they'll take and how strong the winds will be by the time they get to you. But as it gets closer and closer, you get a better idea. And then, and then at a certain point, you, you really know with a fair amount of certainty where it's going to land and, and basically how strong it will be. And so then you can, you can evacuate far ahead of time. You can't do the tornadoes. That's what makes tornadoes so uniquely dangerous. Is that all you know is that, well, there could be, and then, and then it's here. And that's it. And once it's here, it's too late to leave. You, you stay, you, you hunker down. So... I don't think it's fair to hit Amazon on either of those points. Um, but being that they were in a relatively tornado-prone area, if they didn't have any kind of shelter within the building, then I think you, I, I think that you can hold them at fault for that. I think they claim that they did have a shelter, but some of the employees chose not to enter the shelter for whatever reason. I don't know if that's true or not, but if they didn't have a shelter, that's a problem. But these other things, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go after them for that. I think these are these are people who don't understand tornadoes or how they work, and so that's how they work. All right, here is uh, okay. I got to play this for you. This is an interesting and instructive video. Leah Thomas, quote unquote, Leah Thomas, uh, is the male swimmer at uh, University of Pennsylvania. You remember this story? We've talked about it the last you know over the last week. Uh, he was. I, I, I don't know if he was a, he wasn't, I don't think he qualified as necessarily a top male athlete as, as a swimmer for the first three years of his college career, but he was, he was certainly competitive. He was a competitive male athlete as a swimmer for three years. In his final year, he says, you know what? Turns out I'm a woman. And he decides to go over and compete against the women. And now he's dominating the competition, dominating because he was competitive. This is different from some of these other cases where you've got very mediocre male athletes or, or poor male athletes who um, come over to the female side and they win pretty handily, but it's not the same level of domination. So we could talk about that. I mean, we could talk about how he's dominating the competition. I can tell you that, for example, in one of his recent meets, he, he finished first and second place was 40 seconds behind him. Now, in, the, in terms of swimming, in terms of a race, unless it's a marathon, 40 seconds might as well be four months. That's how big the gap is. But we could talk about that intellectually. We could, we could think about it intellectually. Um, I think to see it is a whole different matter. So I want to play. This is, this is a recent race, and I'll have to narrate it a little bit. And if you're watching on audio, then maybe go uh, dailywire.com or go to YouTube and if you, when you get a chance to, to see this footage for yourself, because you have to see this. So let's play this. This was a recent race, and you see um, the arrow there. Okay, kind of the middle lane. There's the arrow. That is Leah Thomas. Okay, he's finished. And listen, do you hear anybody cheering in the crowd? They're not cheering. He finished. He won. So middle lane there where the arrow was. He's done. And now he's waiting. Now here's we, we see some, some, uh, some female competitors. They're coming up to the wall. Is that, are they going to be second? Uh, no, they still have a whole other lap to go. And we've got someone else, some people on the far lane there. Are, are they coming? Is that going to be second? Are they second place? Uh, no, not second. We still haven't got the second place. They've got a whole other lap to go. Okay, now finally we get second place. There is, and listen, listen to this. Oh, don't listen. Okay, we cut it off. Uh, the crowd starts cheering for that person because not, the crowd knows. The crowd knows the score. Leah Thomas finishes. Um... I think that you might, you might have heard one person clapping. I don't know if that's someone in his family. And then the 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 real winner finishes, and then you get the, the crowd cheering. That's what 40 seconds looks like in a race. As I said, it may have, have well been four months. Thomas could have gotten out of the track and started eating a snack or something. He could have got, got out of the track, got a Hot Pocket, went to a microwave, heated it up, started eating it. And, uh, and then come back and watch the rest of the race. And then he would have seen second place. That's how far ahead he was. That is the difference biologically between men and women. That's the advantage that your, bio, that your uh, physiology gives you if you're a male. It is an insurmountable advantage. You think any of those women there as, as talented as they may be against women, 
What are they going to do to shave 40 seconds off their time? Maybe if they start taking steroids, but even then, probably not. Because he's on steroids. That's the thing. When you're a male racing against women, it is, it's, it's cheating. You have a chemical advantage very similar to the advantage that uh, someone with performance-enhancing drugs has. It's a similar advantage. You have similar uh, chemicals coursing through your veins, except, except naturally rather than uh, artificially. And even if you can diminish those chemicals because you're, you're suppressing hormones or whatever, you're taking estrogen, you still have all of the other advantages that come with being a male. They give you a 40-second head start. Total farce. Total joke. And yet, yeah, I, we could appreciate the crowd uh, for cheering for the right winner. But they still held the race. And all those, those you know, the parents came and they watched. As long as you're doing the race and participating in it, then you are participating in this farce. You're propping it up. You're supporting it. There, you know, we need more than people kind of passive-aggressively not cheering for Thomas. That's good, but we need a lot more than that. There need to be, there need to be protests. There need to be female athletes coming together and, and agreeing that they're not going to participate in races where he's there. You do that, and maybe we'll start seeing some change. Maybe. Um, all right, one other thing. This is from The Daily Caller. It says, Superstar Billie Eilish opened up about how she started watching porn at around the age of 11 and said she feels watching it has destroyed her brain. The 19-year-old singer shared during an appearance on The Howard Stern Show... Um, as a woman, I think porn is a disgrace. I used to watch a lot of porn, to be honest. I started watching porn when I was like 11. I think it really destroyed my brain. I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. I'm so angry that porn is so loved, and I'm so angry at myself for thinking that it was okay. The way that vaginas look in porn is effing crazy. No vaginas look like that. Women's bodies don't look like that. We don't come like that. Uh, the first few times I had sex, I was not saying no to things that were not good. It was because I thought that's what I was supposed to be attracted to. Okay, I mean, this is... Uh, on one hand, if you want to look at it from the pessimistic angle, it's, uh, it is frustrating that some of us have been saying this about pornography for, uh, for years, and we've been shouted down and mocked and everything. Oh, it's with porn. It's just, it's just images on a screen. What's the big deal? It's just a fantasy. Oh, what do you mean porn harms, harms, harms women? Oh, that's silly. That's ridiculous. Um, and now when a 19-year-old pop star starts saying it, people take it a little bit more seriously. So that's a pessimistic angle of it. But, you know, wh whoever the source needs to be, I'm glad that, it's, that, that this is happening. And she's not the first one. We, this, this, in fact, is what we need. We need people. Yeah, I mean, someone like me, I can sit, sit here all day and talk about that and say what a, what a harm um, it is. But to a certain extent, it's always going to be dismissed as religious puritanism or whatever. But Billie Eilish, as far as I know, I'm, I'm assuming I could be wrong. I'm assuming not a not a devout Christian, and uh, she's telling you her own experience. She's not alone in this. In fact, there's a there's a whole generation of people. If you would listen to them, people about Billie Eilish's age, just now becoming adults. And uh, they grew up with this stuff. They are the first generation that grew up with online porn. And I don't want to hear anything from older people about, oh, what are you talking about? When I was a kid, there was a, a playboy under my dad's mattress, that whole canard. Uh, I mean, if your dad had pornography under his mattress and he was allowing you to access it, then your dad was a creep. And I'm sorry about that. But that is nothing like this. Okay, magazines. Magazine images on pieces of paper, nothing like the, the permeation of hardcore porn that children, young children, I mean, she says at age 11, she started looking at this stuff. So these are prepubescent kids. She says it destroyed her brain. She's right. Now, fortunately, the damage is not permanent. There's a way to, to overcome it, I think. 
But there are certain effects that will linger forever because this is during your formative years. This is before puberty. Um, your idea of human sexuality is very much shaped by all this stuff that you're watching online. You get a little bit older and you realize that it was shaped in this way and misshaped by it, then that's when you can start to recover. But, I, but it, does, it does have an effect. That to a certain extent, I mean, you know, I just said a second ago that it's not permanent. I think, in fact, some of the damage actually is permanent. It won't, it doesn't doom you to, uh, to a dysfunctional sex life or dysfunctional relationships your whole life, but it is, there are, there is some permanent damage done because of what these kids are being exposed to, how early they're being exposed to it, how much of it they're exposed to, how often. And so if you listen to the kids who are not, you know, not kids now, they're adults, but if you just listen to them, so many of them will say exactly this. I grew up with this. And I wish that I hadn't. I mean, you, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's 20 years old right now and is happy that they've been watching hardcore porn since the age of 8 years old. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be hard-pressed to find somebody like that. You might, you're going to find plenty of people who have not had this awakening moment that Billie Eilish has where they realize the damage that's done. But if you ask them if this, if this, you know, if they look back at their childhood, their life, has, has this helped them? Was that time well spent? Do they wish they had watched even more? I think the answer to all those questions is going to be no. So this is very, very different from the magazine under the mattress deal. Um, these are kids that are exposed to the most, I mean, the most grotesque imagery that you can imagine. Like images right from the bowels of hell that have been brought up and bubbled up and that our, our kids are now, their minds are marinating in for years and years and years. Does that cause a trauma? Yeah, it does. And if you don't believe that, then think about, I mean, if you heard about a, a case of sexual abuse where a 10-year-old kid, a 9-year-old kid was allowed to be in the room while something like what you would see in porn was happening right in front of them, okay, uh, we would all agree that that is sexual abuse. That this is a that that child is a sexual abuse victim. That this is a, that he was molested, even if he wasn't physically touched. He is a, a victim of sexual abuse and molestation. I think we'd all agree with that. I would hope we'd all agree with that, and that the adults who were performing this sexual act in front of the child should go to prison as sexual abusers. Well, if we could all agree that that is traumatic sexual abuse, then how is it any different when the kid is viewing this stuff on a screen? Does that magically make, make it all okay? Does that, does, it, does that screen act as some sort of psychological or emotional barrier where the damage that would be done if they were in the same room isn't done anymore? It doesn't make any sense. If you agree that simply encountering those images... And viewing an act, an act like this at that age, if you agree that it, that it can be emotionally and psychologically traumatic and damaging and, and tantamount to sexual abuse. If you agree that that's the case in person, then you should agree with that in, uh, when it comes to pornography, which means that we have an entire generation and now multiple generations of sexual abuse victims. Like all of these kids are sexual abuse victims. Because of what they've been exposed to. That's also why I think that's that's also why I think you make you can make a very strong argument for banning this stuff, because it is sexual abuse. You are putting this stuff out there, where you know that kids not only can access it, but millions of them are every single day, and you are purposefully making a contribution to that, contributing to the sexual abuse of children. I think you could ban it on for that reason alone. That's my view. Okay, let's get now to the comment section. You know, for a lot of people in your home, the garage is where you come and go. It's the most, it's one of the more active places in your house. You're walking through to enter. It's, it's a, one of the most common entry points for a home. Lots of things happen in garages. Um, as we've just discussed with Bubba Wallace, 
And that's why it's great to introduce the MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain. If only Bubba Wallace had had a MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain in his garage, we could have avoided so much heartache. The only smart camera optimized for the garage, brought to you by the leaders in garage door opener technology. Pair it with the MyQ Smart Garage Control, and you'll never have to worry if you left the garage open. You can check it, see it, and close it all from the MyQ app from anywhere. Um, gives you a lot of abilities, again, opening and closing the door, and you can let people into your home through this through this app. And there's also motion detection and all kinds of different things. So, so it's all about security and convenience as well. So what are you waiting for? Give the gift of a MyQ Smart Garage, Garage camera to tech lovers this season. If you act now, you can save 46% for a limited time by entering Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh. That's Walsh at checkout at myq.com slash Walsh to save 46%. Keep an eye on what's happening in and around your home's busiest entryway with the MyQ Smart Garage camera. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage. Susan Epp says, I urge everyone to read Gifted Hands by Ben Carson. He says he frequently was mistaken for an aide or orderly, and orderly, and that's fine because they're important members of the surgical and hospital staff. Uh, he addresses it so gracefully. Well, Ben Carson, no surprise there. Uh, I think a better man than, uh, than Dr. Smollett from our daily cancellation a few days ago. Uh, Alexandra says, Matt, death penalty question. After the Rittenhouse trial, an interesting point was made on Tim Pool's show that since we were this close to sending an innocent kid to jail for political reasons, how can we trust the state to properly decide who they're going to kill? It made me think, and I actually decided that my distrust in the state and political establishment is so deep that I can no longer support the death penalty, especially with current tyrannical practices around the world. What do you think? Uh, you know, I understand that argument, but I don't find it persuasive uh, for a few reasons. I'll focus on one, which is that, you know, why aren't you arguing arguing against life in prison without parole? I mean, by that by that logic, then we shouldn't be doling out any punishments at all. You know, there's there's a chance that the state could send people to prison for their whole lives, lock them in a cage, even if they're innocent. And I'm sure that has, in fact, happened. I don't think it happens very often, but I think we would be pretty sure that there have been cases of, of someone going to jail, spending 60 years in jail, locked in a cage, although they're innocent, they, they, they die in jail. So in order, in order to avoid that risk and that eventuality, should we get rid of life sentences or prison sentences in general? Um, no, I don't think the answer is to do away with these punishments and these penalties, which I think you need in a civilized society. We're not going to give up on having a civilized society. We're not going to give up on justice. That's the other thing. This is not just about, it's partly about segregating dangerous people. Life in prison, you're segregating dangerous people from society. And then when, when it comes to the most depraved and the most dangerous people who have done the worst kinds of things, and who have, who have been reduced, reduced themselves to monsters, to animals, basically, through their behavior. Um, I think they call for, for, this, for the safety of society, uh, for, you know, for the sake of society. I think they call for the ultimate form of segregation from society, which is the permanent, you know, death penalty. That's part of it, but the other part is justice. And um, are we going to give up on that? I think when you, when you do certain things, a man rapes and kills a child. Justice demands the death penalty. Anything less than that is not justice. And so the argument here is, well, let's give up on that because sometimes justice is, is, is not done correctly. Sometimes there is injustice in the, in the name of justice. Sometimes justice is misapplied. or, you know, I think the answer is just to work on the justice system, make sure it's done correctly. Um. Lex says, you mentioned again today abolishing the Department of Education. Do you want to abolish the whole public school system too? What would take its place? Do you really think we can privatize all of education? Well, yes to all those questions, but with a very important qualifier. So when it comes to education, like most things in life, uh, I'm a believer in subsidiarity. And, and, and that means that, that it should be handled on the most local level possible. So I want education to be private and local. And the local part is really important. Sometimes that gets left out of this conversation. Now, the most, the most localized form of private education is homeschool. It's also the most private form of private education. And that's why I think it's great. And I'm a homeschool advocate. But I am in favor of local private schools also. The local part is very important. And here's why. If, in my fantasy, 
um, the public education was abolished tomorrow, and it doesn't exist anymore. Department of Education is gone. Public education system is gone. Government is out of the education business. If that were to happen tomorrow, and that was it, and there were there was nothing else put in place, and and you know all we cared about was let's just get rid of this, and anything is better than that. Well, you know what we would have next, the next week, there would be Amazon Elementary, you know Coca Cola Middle School, um, Disney High, right? These mega conglomerates would move in and they would take over education, and all the things that we hate about public education right now would be would would be present. And in fact, probably be even worse. Because at least with public education, there is the pretense, the hope at least, that you can have some influence um, on what happens in the school system through the school board and so on. And we've seen that actually happen successfully, especially recently. But with privatized conglomerate education, there isn't even the possibility of that. So, um, so that's why I, I have this really important qualifier. Yes, I'm in favor of getting rid of the uh, public education system, but what, what comes in its place must be local and private. One of my problems with, with, with the public school education is that it is not local. But you're taking this thing, which should by its nature be as local as it possibly can be and as personalized as it possibly can be, and you're turning it into this kind of factory assembly line strategy. And you've got this federal uh, agency overseeing all of it. That's the wrong way to approach it. And I would not be in favor of getting rid of this massive bureaucracy overseeing education just to put a different one in its place. And this is, this is something I think conservatives in general are slow to understand, uh, that big corporations are oftentimes just as bad as the government, sometimes worse, because they are large politicized bureaucracies run by elites, just like the government. All right. Um, and uh, let's see. Gianna says, why is Eureka O'Hara always making his way onto the Matt Walsh show? He was also the drag queen at the Dave Chappelle protest outside the Netflix office. Okay, I thought I recognized him. Yeah, so the, the drag queen from our daily cancellation yesterday, uh, the, the, the large one, the, the Ursula-looking one. Yeah, I thought it, yeah, he was at the, the, the Dave Chappelle protest. I usually remember faces, unless I consciously try to suppress them for my own mental well-being, which I might, I might have done here. Um, I don't know. Maybe drag queen Eureka O'Hara is becoming the primary antagonist of the Matt Wall show. There's always someone. Right? As we go through the seasons of this show, there's always a, a main villain. And I think prior to this, it was probably Demi Lovato. And before it was like maybe Lil Nas X. And, uh, and now it's Eureka O'Hara, the final boss. Not only was the Daily Wire first in the nation to sue the Biden administration for their unconstitutional mandate, but we're getting closer to a million signatures on our do not comply petition every single day. Why? Well, because people are realizing that if we don't actively fight for our freedom, the government will take it. We have a goal of reaching 1 million signatures, which would provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We have over 875,000 signatures so far, so we're going to get there, but let's get there as soon as we possibly can. Help us cross the finish line. Go to dailywire.com slash do not comply and sign the petition today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we have a reverse cancellation, not in my own defense, but in defense of Ben Shapiro's sister, Abby. Um, I'm doing this segment today because Ben said we all had to do it or we'd be fired. But mostly I'm doing it because Abby is being unfairly maligned for something she said on Twitter a few days ago. She has a a, a nice social media following of her own. and She posted a a side-by-side picture of Madonna and Nancy Reagan. Madonna is, this is a picture for, for Madonna, this is a picture from a few days ago. She's spread out on a bed in lingerie with her nipple poking out. A heavily photoshopped image, by the way, to the point where this is more of a cartoon than a photograph. And then Nancy Reagan, in the picture taken decades ago, is dressed in an outfit appropriate for a woman her age and surrounded by her children, grandchildren, her husband. And Abby captions, this is Madonna at 63. This is Nancy Reagan at 64. Trashy living versus classic living. Which version of yourself do you want to be? Now, the reaction, perhaps predictably, was an eruption of outsized hyperbolic rage and mockery from the left. Abby was trending on Twitter for a few days because uh, so many people were lining up to dunk on this tweet, as the kids would say. It was uh, supposed to be somehow not only wrong, but self-evidently outrageous to suggest that perhaps it's not ideal for 63-year-old women to be presenting their naked bodies to the public for attention. But as always... The people pretending to be wounded or vexed by this statement are simply trying to rationalize their own life choices. It is one enormous act of overcompensation. Now, if Madonna wanted to dress that way for her, for her husband, there'd be no reason for complaint. 
I mean, none of us would know about it. So no reason for us to complain. No reason for her husband to complain, I imagine. But I'm pretty sure Madonna doesn't have a husband because she divorced all of them and she's now dating the pool boy or, or whoever. And so this is not something done in the privacy of her home, but broadcast to the world for public consumption. It is pathetic and humiliating and degrading for a person of any age to offer up their body as an object to strangers. But it's especially pitiful for a woman of Madonna's age. You know, there's a certain dignity that's supposed to come with age. And it's good to gain dignity with age because it takes the place of what you lose. And you do lose some things with age. Namely, you lose a certain degree of physical beauty and vitality. So this is the bargain that our mortality makes with us. It says to us, okay, I'm going to take your beauty and your youthful energy, but I'll trade you wisdom, maturity, and dignity. So that's what you get. And you may as well take mortality up on this bargain because it's, it's going to extract its cost regardless. Even if you say, uh, no, thank you, I'm not interested in your wisdom and dignity, which is what Madonna has said. Well, still, mortality says, well, but I'm taking youthfulness anyway, and I'm taking beauty. And uh, you, you, you know, you're going to be left with plastic surgery and Photoshop. And so now, women like Madonna are just old, wrinkled, desperate, dumb, immature weirdos. In Madonna's case, she, she, she has had attention her whole life. She's been famous way longer than she was nor- a normal person. She defines herself by attention and fame. But unfortunately, she lacks the ability to attract it artistically. She hasn't made a relevant song in about 30 years, probably. So this is all she has. Her, her half-naked body. It's the only way to gain the spotlight that she craves and that she needs. Contrast that with Nancy Reagan as depicted in the photo, and you see an older woman who has grown into her role as an older woman, embraced it, accepted mortality's bargain, and benefited from the trade. So which version of ourselves should we want to be? I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. In fact, it's interesting to note that uh, Abby is not alone in making this point. The rapper 50 Cent, who um, probably does not line up with the Shapiro family very often when it comes to political and cultural views, actually made a similar observation in, in his own way, commenting on these photos when they were posted to Instagram. 50 Cent said, yo, this is the funniest shit, LOL. That's Madonna under the bed trying to do like a virgin at 63. She shot out if she don't get her old ass up. So that's basically what Ben Shapiro's sister was trying to say. And you could decide who communicated the point more eloquently. As it happens, Madonna's response to 50 Cent's comments, uh, she responded calling them misogynistic, ageist, and sexist. So she's playing the standard game of parading her naked body around in front of millions of strangers and then recoiling in horror when a few of those strangers dare to express their opinion about the spectacle. But she has no room to complain. If she didn't want to hear 50 Cent's opinion about her appearance as she lays naked on a bed, then she shouldn't have went through the trouble of documenting herself in that condition and posting it on social media for millions of people to see. Once you present something like that to the world, Once you present anything to the world, once you take anything and say, here you go, world, look at this, the world has a right to pass its judgment. If you really don't want to hear the world's judgment, or you think the world has no right to make such judgments, then keep it to yourself. That goes for your naked body. It goes for your opinions. If you express an opinion to the world, I do it all the time. Hey, world, here's my opinion about this. And if people attack me for it, I, I might respond to those attacks. I might hit back, but I'm not going to sit here crying that they disagree. How dare you give your opinion about my opinion? But Madonna understands this, but th- this is the game she plays. It's a pretty common game, especially in the, in the internet age. But usually it's played by people who are young and dumb and who struggle to differentiate between what should be private and what should be public. Madonna is old and still struggling in that way mainly because she never formed any sort of real personal identity outside of her role as celebrity. That's what makes this sort of exhibition so woefully depressing, because it's empty. I mean, this is an empty person grasping out for attention because it's the one thing that gives her life meaning. By her age, she ought to have a full life, deeply moored in family and relationships, as Nancy Reagan clearly had at that point in her own life. So which fate would you rather share? Do you want to be the woman less than a decade away from turning 70? prostituting yourself with images photoshopped to make you look 50 years younger? Or do you want to be surrounded by family and by love and by loyalty? And to leave behind a real legacy? I think we all know which we would prefer. That's the point Abby was making. 
And she could not have been more right about it, which is why the people canceling her are today finally canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Buy my book at johnnythewalrus.com. Godspeed. Somewhere past the pandemic When we're free There's a life I remember Full of activity Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, the White House announces that Joe Biden will commemorate January 6th as the Congressional Commission focuses on Mark Meadows' text messages. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Hey, 